Every 73 seconds, someone is being sexually assaulted. Every nine minutes, that victim is usually a child. Only five out of every 1,000 perpetrators will end up in prison. 3% of American men, or one in 33 men, have experienced an attempted or have completed a rape once in their lifetime. Child Protective Services agencies have found strong evidence to indicate that 63,000 children a year were victims of sexual abuse. Nine out of every 10 victims of rape are female. These statistics are from RAIN, which stands for Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network. They are the largest anti-sexual violence organization and have helped over 3.5 million survivors and their loved ones. April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month, and I felt compelled to speak about this because I see it more often in my practice than you can possibly imagine. The story usually is like this. Girl goes out on a date expecting to connect with Mr. Wright. Mr. Wright turns out to be the worst mistake of their life. Many women believe that the system will fail them, and the majority of these cases go unreported for fear of being shamed. I don't care how much you have had to drink, or how short you wore your skirt, or whether or not you were lying naked and then you changed your mind. No always means no. It does not mean maybe. And dressing provocatively or walking home alone never gives anyone the right to assault another person. I have begged so many of my patients to report because their silence means that this could happen to another woman. If only 5 out of 1,000 perpetrators end up in prison, that means that there are 995 vultures out there waiting for their next prey. Clitizens, and welcome to Virginius. April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month, and I could not wait to do this interview with Christine von Helmholtz, Los Angeles County Deputy District Attorney, who has served on 69 jury trials and is the deputy in charge of ESCARS, which is the Electronic Suspected Child Abuse Report Unit. She is a trial lawyer who has been involved in many cases of sex crimes, and she's responsible for training law enforcement, other deputy district attorneys, and law clerks in her area of expertise, which involves domestic violence, sex crimes, child abuse, and criminal nuisance abatements. As a gynecologist, I see far too often many victims of sex crimes. The vast majority of the women that I see have never reported the abuse. The vast majority live with this overwhelming sense of shame, anxiety, depression, and oftentimes have extreme difficulty when it comes to intimacy and relationships. Many do not know that even though the assault might have occurred years ago, there's still the opportunity to report. I wanted you to hear from a trial lawyer who deals with these cases every day. The information that she has for you is invaluable. I hope that if you were ever a victim of this crime, or if you know someone that might have been, please share this information. Reporting is never easy, but your silence enables perpetrators to think that their crime will go unpunished, and there is no doubt that they will keep doing this to other women. Without further ado, here's my interview with Christine. Christine, thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview with me. I know that being a deputy district attorney is not an easy job and that your time is very limited. 
it. I speak for hopefully the thousands of women that will listen to this podcast. And I say thank you for all of the important information that you're about to share. I've been trying to get this episode recorded for months and it seems like I've been met with many roadblocks. Uh, These roadblocks have made me fully aware of what some women may experience when they're thinking about whether or not they want to report their assault. So thank you so much for being here. You want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Of course, it's my pleasure to be here. I have been a deputy district attorney for 25 years, and for over half of that time period, I have prosecuted child physical abuse, child sexual abuse, and adult sex abuse cases, as well as domestic violence cases. And I have seen these cases from the very beginning, where they're submitted for filing, all the way through to trial. I've done many trials, and it is heart-wrenching to see the way that it impacts the entire life of the victims and the victim's family. So I'm speaking today because I think this is a really, really important subject matter. And of course, you mentioned that it's, um, the month of April is um, victims month. But I also wanted to just uh, a brief disclaimer that I'm what I'm about to say is informed by what I've done for a goodly portion of my adult life. But I'm not speaking for the district attorney or on behalf of the district attorney's office. I'm not espousing any policy of the district attorney's office. I'm just explaining what I have learned through my work. And I appreciate that so much, Christine. I think when I initially wanted to do this interview, I had a a police officer who works with victims of sexual violence. And it was so hard when I said I met roadblocks. I I, I meant that it was just very difficult um, to get her to commit to an interview. And a big part of that is like, a lot of times patients are like, please don't take my word for it. Because, you know, we have to go through like several hoops and get approval from her sergeant. And it was just it was really hard and I felt like in the interim I was getting more and more patience with this issue and there's there's a lot of misinformation out there Um, some patients think that if they don't report it right away that they can't do anything about it later on I was met with like you know working with a, a, a teenager and the assault happened in another another district and she was terrified she didn't want to report it and I I was wondering, you know, what do I do as a physician? What are my obligations as a physician when I've got an underage girl and she is begging me not to report? So these were all questions that I had. And there's not like a a guidebook to this. And and you having had all of this experience, I thought that it would be great if I just asked you some of the most common questions. And I think that women would be so appreciative of just knowing what they can do. So with that said, why do you think that sexual assault is so underreported? Well, in short, I think it's fear of the unknown. They don't know what's going to happen if and when they report it. And they often second guess themselves. They start to question their own uh, ability to have interpreted what happened to them. In other words, well, maybe I did something that caused this to happen. They often are extremely embarrassed and the idea of talking about this incident or incidents with someone they don't even know is not uh, something they look forward to. So, and, and also quite commonly, as I'm sure you're well aware, if there's any alcohol or drugs or anything of that nature involved, they believe that that means they're immediately not going to be believed. So they don't want to submit themselves to that kind of uh, questioning. In other words, 
that they're going to become a victim a second time over by virtue of having their credibility questioned. Yeah, and I'm sure that you've seen that a lot in court as well, where uh, her credibility is questioned because of alcohol use or uh, drug use. Right, and especially in the context of what is commonly called date rape. It can even just be acquaintance rape. And I remember one victim in particular, and she was testifying in a trial um, when she was just being blazed by this defense attorney. He was like a blowtorch, um, and he kept harping on the fact that she had delayed in reporting, and she finally yelled back at him, have you ever been sexually assaulted, sir? And then she said, this is why I didn't report. This, what you're doing right now, is why I didn't report. Powerful moment. And I think that that, that is something that none of us, you know, if, if we've never been in those shoes, it's, it's hard to really understand how difficult that is. You know, I've been in exam rooms with patients where they live their trauma every time I examine them, you know, and these are patients that had sexual abuse you know 15 years ago and it still haunts them and it's sad it's sad that that one episode scars them for life i wanted to give just a couple of quick pointers for women who have been sexually assaulted what are some of the the best advice that you can give them of what they should do when it happens well If the intent is to report immediately, which is frequently not what happens, but if it is an instance where the sexual assault has just recently taken place, and by recently I mean it could have happened that evening and they wake up the next morning and there's um, this terror that seizes them, they realize what had happened, the best thing to do is to get someplace where they can call 911 and collect, and assuming they are outside of the presence of the perpetrator, collect every aspect of that event. In other words, put all the clothing that was worn, including undergarments, into a bag. If there's any um, linens that were associated with the assault, put those in the bag. Do not take a shower. Do not go to the bathroom. Do not brush your teeth. And definitely don't even wash your face. And either get yourself to the police station ASAP or call 911 and, and wait for the police to come to your location, that's actually far more ideal because there is some collection of evidence that could take place at the locale if it happened where you're calling from. Obviously, sometimes that's not the case, that, that the incident didn't occur where you're calling from. But the bottom line is evidence collection is much more possible and rich with evidence if you don't uh, shower or take any actions to disturb the evidence. Exactly. I remember in residency, you know, unfortunately, we used to see this very often. And um, there is certain steps that need to be followed so that there's like no break in the collection chain, I guess. Right. A uh, right. police officer had to be present. Uh, just to warn you guys, it is a very invasive, you know, and after having been through this trauma, the collection process itself is just, um, you know, they take swabs from all of the oral, uh, your oral cavity, the anal cavity, vaginal So you have to be prepared, but just know that this is all so that we can get enough DNA evidence to, it'll only help the prosecution. Right, and depending upon what the victim says to, and I hate to use that word victim, but it communicates what I'm trying to convey. The 
victim will be questioned about the events, and all of those questions lead to the collection of evidence process. There may be something in their hair, there may be they were kissed on the neck, or they were kissed on the abdomen, or some other place, and all of that dictates what is swabbed. So it's vital. Exactly. And then in your experience, have you found that most of the perpetrators tend to be people that we know? Or is it usually a stranger? No, it's, it's usually people that we know. It's very uncommon that it's a stranger. When this happens, is the perpetrator typically interviewed on the same day? Do you know that or? Uh, it really depends on how, how this is, the crime is um, reported. So, for instance, if, if something happens and you report it immediately and the police come out, they, they take the report, they do the sexual assault exam, they do all the stuff in short order, and, and the victim knows the name of the perpetrator and how potentially to contact them, it's possible they'll get picked up and be interviewed immediately. If they're arrested, they have to be arraigned within 48 hours. And in the interim between when they're arrested and when they're arraigned, which basically means they come in front of a judge and are set, are told, this is what you're charged with, how do you plead, typically with an attorney. Um, so in that 48-hour period, that's how long law enforcement has to get them interviewed. But what frequently happens is the crime occurs victim reports it sometimes they don't have complete information as to the person um, as to the identity of this person they might just know oh it's you know it's joey from work i don't really know where he lives but this is the kind of car he drives you know whatever information they may have to turn over to law enforcement may or may not lead to them being arrested right away so and if they're not then they're not going to get interviewed right away in fact i've had many many cases where the evidence was brought in and i had to file it for a warrant which basically means I had enough evidence to file a case, but I didn't have the perpetrator yet. And so they put a warrant in the system and they may get arrested, you know, a day later, it may be 10 months later. So it really depends on all of that. Is there a, a statute of limitation? You know, most women, as you and I both know, the vast majority don't report right away. And it's not until they've had time to think about it and maybe speak to a good friend or a family member. Is it ever too late to report? It depends. Yeah. <laughs> the statute of limitations on sexual assault is a quagmire because it's changed so many times. Even in the time period that I've been prosecuting these cases, it's changed many times. Generally speaking, it's 10 years, but there's many, many, many exceptions to that. And it depends on the nature of the crime. I've, ha I've prosecuted cases where uh, some of the acts occurred 35 years ago. And, for instance, it's very common in a um, continuous sexual abuse of a child that it might have started when they were 5 and it didn't end until they were 16 and then started up again when they were 20 and so on and so forth. And in those instances, there's many exceptions to statutes of limitations. So... I had an individual approach me who I knew, and they asked me, I, I don't know what to do. I was molested by this guy in our neighborhood that used to, you know, give me things like, you know, money and favors and whatnot. And I never told anybody all the way through age 16, and he did a lot of stuff to a lot of other kids in the neighborhood, but no one ever reported it. But I saw him walking down the street. This is you know, 20 years later after they had been uh, molested and never reported it, 20 years 
later, they saw him walking down the street with his arm around another 12-year-old. Oh, my and gosh. He, and he knew he didn't have any children. So he knew that, oh, my God, this is still going on. He said, I don't know what to do. And so I told him, you need to report this. You need to report this now because there may be other people that are out there that just haven't reported it yet. And what you're telling me and what you will tell the police is a form of corroboration. And he did that. And this individual eventually had charges filed because that little 12-year-old was interviewed. And sure enough, he was molesting that 12-year-old as well. And so there's something in the world of uh, sexual assault cases called uh, Evidence Code Section 1108 evidence, which basically means you can bring in prior bad acts of this person, even if they were never charged with it. But you have evidence, a preponderance of the evidence, that this individual committed these same types of acts upon another victim, even if they were never arrested for it and it was never reported. And it's very powerful evidence. That's that's what I tell my patients. I'm like, you don't know. You reporting this might help other women to come forward because exactly. maybe the same thing happened to them. And it takes one brave soul to bring it to light and then others will follow and say, hey, the same thing happened to me. Yeah, that's exactly right. And Christine, just me being a gynecologist and seeing this all the time and obviously being faced with young women, teenagers, um, I think I asked you this question last time. It's what is my obligation as a physician? When I tried to report this, seven, she was 17 years old, I felt like I had a lot of resistance um, from the police department where they said they can't really do anything if she refuses to press charges and that case never went anywhere and I felt like my hands were tied. Is there another resource for children in particular that could have helped me in that situation? Yes. Um, so you're a mandated reporter, as I'm sure you know, and pursuant to Penal Code Section 11164 at SEC, mandated reporters have an individual responsibility to report suspected child abuse that they learn of or that they suspect. And so in that instance, obviously, this was a minor. So you had to do what you did, which is to call either law enforcement or call the child abuse hotline. And so the child abuse hotline, which, by the way, is 1-800-540-4000, is basically a Department of Child and Family Services. And when you call them, they have to take this information from you and they put it into their system, the child welfare system, case management management system and they type it in in real time as you're telling them what you what you've learned of or you know whoever it is that's reporting it and then it gets uploaded into a system that I'm intimately familiar with because I'm the deputy in charge of what's called eScars which is electronic suspected child abuse reporting system and that automatically gets cross-reported to law enforcement and the district attorney's office and when it gets cross-reported to law enforcement they have to investigate it as does um, if it's out of home abuse DCFS doesn't have to uh, investigate it but if it's in-home abuse they do but that doesn't um, that doesn't mean that law enforcement doesn't have the obligation to investigate it irrespective of whether or not they think at this moment in time that the victim is cooperative or not I mean it is true that if down the line if this case is presented for filing um, in every sexual assault case I ever filed I had to personally interview the victim whether it was a five-year-old or a 35 year old and if they told me point blank I don't want to do this I can't do this I don't want to cooperate no way no how I couldn't file the case but they have to at least investigate it and then potentially present it irrespective of whether or not they think the victim is going to be cooperative down 
down the line. And oftentimes, right in my office there, I would be able to help the victim understand why it was so important and frankly empowering for them to go forward with this, even though it, it does not, it's not something that anyone would look forward to. I don't know if that answers your question, but... No, it, to- it totally does. Yeah, that one case in particular to this day, it just, it really bothers me because I just felt kind of helpless and I felt yeah. like n- nothing was being done. And, and this poor girl was so terrified and it wasn't child abuse per se in, in a sense that like it was a uh, classmate of hers, but this right. classmate was one year older and she just felt like she was going to be the talk of the school and she just didn't want to get him in trouble it was all this but it clearly she was very very traumatized by this experience and you know all of those things like deeply affect me too it's it's just it's hard as a physician to witness this and um, try to get patients to feel empowered to to do something but then maybe not have all of the tools that that I need to help them so this was very very helpful Christine thank you so much I really appreciate it is there any sort of last minute piece of advice that you can give for our audience well I don't know that I would call it advice so much as um, I, I just want to emphasize that oftentimes women anytime there's alcohol involved or they were quote-unquote drunk they think that automatically means that you know they can't report because they, they blame themselves or they, they feel like their their memory is faulty that somehow it's going to be come a, a victim blaming session and that their credibility will be called into question and some of those things may be true in the sense that yes any self-respecting defense attorney would try to make it look like oh well how do you know what really happened to you you were too intoxicated but i cannot emphasize enough that there should not be this inclination to not report it just because you were drinking or because maybe there was some cocaine that was consumed or some other you know, pot or something, because it is vital that these kinds of crimes get reported. Otherwise, the perpetrator just keeps on doing it over and over and over again. I had a a case where a guy had victimized 10 different women, um, and most of them had, had initially gone unreported because there was alcohol involved, and he relied upon that. So it finally finally went to trial, and um, he's where he, he needs to be because he was a, a master perpetrator. But you know, the, the one thing that I also want to point out, and I just have been told this so many times by victims after trial, when it was a, it was a traumatic thing for them, but they told me afterwards that it was so empowering to them to finally have this off of their chest and to speak their truth and to have some justice served in their case. Because as you pointed out before, this deeply affects women in so many ways. And I've seen it in with the sort of multi-generational perpetrators. In other words, a perpetrator who has molested children and then grandchildren and there's this horrific ripple effect and the long-term torment that they suffer just has this it creates problems not just the obvious problems that it creates but the fallout from the abuse is mental it's physical it's social it creates in some kids it creates learning disabilities and so once 
they report it, once the victim reports it, then potentially they can get help. Like the district attorney's office has all kinds of services through the victim advocates, whether it's mental health counseling, other assistance that they might need to the victim advocates. And there's also other types of programs through nonprofits that if they don't avail themselves of that, then this just stays in their heart and their head and it festers and it does not come to any good. So I can't, um, I can't say it enough that it's important to report it, to not second guess yourself. Exactly. And things do get done and you have convicted and people do go to jail for things like this. And so we especially don't want you to feel alone and there is help out there. You can reach out. I'm going to list a couple of hotlines that you guys can have. Christine, I I honestly, I, I can't thank you enough. I really appreciate all the information. I'm so grateful for everything that you've said. You know, these are things that I think need to come to light and women, there's, there's more, there's more and more women, I think now realizing that, you know, we don't have to be the victims that we can stand up for ourselves and do something about it. If you have been the victim of an assault, or if you know anyone who could use this information, please share. The child abuse hotline is 1-800-540-4000. And you can get help at 1-800-656-HOPE or 1-800-656-4673. You are not alone. And there are many of us who are willing to help you.